and just throw those jogging bottoms away <laughs> and get rid of the car. <laughs> User error 86. I'm Joe. I'm Alan. And I'm Dan. And we're back. And we've got a lot of hashtag ask error questions for you. And remember, you can submit them either on Twitter or in the Jupiter Broadcasting Telegram group, which is jupiterbroadcasting.com slash telegram, or at error.show slash contact. So the first one then, why do you prefer Twitter over Facebook? Now, this does apply to me. I'm assuming it applies to both of you. Yeah. Well, prefer for certain purposes. I don't prefer one company over the other and i don't necessarily prefer one product over the other they're both shit in their own way but i use one more than the other i prefer to get my political information from facebook (laughs) (laughs) i thought about this after someone submitted the question and i i don't think i have a good answer i think it's just a visceral hatred of facebook I do have actually three Facebook accounts that I lurk probably about once a day, just have a quick look, see what everyone's doing. Very seldom interact with anyone. But I use Twitter way more, and I don't know why. I think it might just be the interface of Twitter, maybe. The the fact that you can't have whole essays apart from in threads, I think that's a big one because um, today, for example, I was looking at Facebook and there's someone who is quite entertaining there and he'd written something and you can click once to expand it and then if there's another click to expand more, then I'm like, nope, out, I'm not reading an essay right now. Whereas with Twitter, it's like, what, 200 and whatever characters. It's bite-sized chunks and you might occasionally get sucked into a thread, but it's pretty rare for me to actually do that so i think it's just the brevity of twitter that makes me prefer it Hmm. i mean i don't really like either of them they both piss me off in different ways uh facebook i almost never open it anymore um i think the old people who post stupid bullshit annoy me and it reminds me that they exist when i open facebook and I would rather not know that they exist or not know that they do that and post stupid racist bullshit on Facebook. Um, and I don't have the time or strength to argue with them about it. So I just would rather not look at it. Now, I appreciate I could unfriend my family or I can dial down how much I see. And I've done that for some family friends. So when I open Facebook, Really, all I see is the content of groups I'm in, which is stuff to do with the Sinclair Spectrum and Commodore 64 and a little bit of Linuxy stuff. And my family stuff just falls to the bottom because it's all just rubbish, inane bullshit that I don't care about and platitudes and you know, inspirational messages on a picture of a mountain range. It's just sickeningly awful. I hate it. Um, whereas I don't follow anyone on Twitter that does that. And because the algorithm in Facebook promotes stuff that other people have plus one and promotes stuff that other people have shared, it's not a strict chronological order. Whereas Twitter, my main timeline, shall we say, 
if I put it in chronological order mode, then I just see pretty much what I want to see. And if I don't want to see stuff, I just unfollow people. And it's very easy to unfollow someone on Twitter because I can unfollow people who are my friends who I just think, oh, that's just rubbish. I don't care about that anymore. So I unfollow them. Whereas it's, it's harder to unfollow someone on Facebook. So I think the fact that Facebook is so full of bullshit and friction makes me want to use it less. I don't hate it less. I just want to use it less. Whereas Twitter doesn't have that friction. It's like, like you said, it's small bite sized things I can look at when I'm on the loo or when I'm walking to the bus or whatever. And it's easily digestible and consumed and I can make it go away really easily. Yeah. I, I think for me, the, the biggest difference between the platforms is that Facebook kind of comes with a lot of social pressure and obligation and it's, it's built around this concept of like your friends, right? These are your friends or like, you know, originally like these are your classmates and it continues to do that kind of stuff. Like these are your family and here are events that people in your family and your friends are attending. And, and it's, it's all social pressure. And for me, Twitter has absolutely nothing to do with that whatsoever. It's I can follow whoever I want or not follow whoever I want. And there's no like hard feelings about like, oh, you didn't, you didn't friend me on, on Twitter. Like, I don't feel like that's a, that's a thing that exists there. And so the content that I see on Twitter ends up being things that I'm interested in and not just necessarily people I'm associated with. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. The, the social pressure from friends, I totally get. I recently, um, someone had a go at me, a family member had a go at me because I didn't reply to them on Facebook. And I'm like, I don't open it. So I'm sorry. I just didn't see your messages. So I'm sorry. I'm not, you know, you can, you could be upset with me for not responding to you in a timely fashion, but don't be upset with me because I didn't log into Facebook. Um, and then I, like a week later or something, I posted something on Instagram, an amusing picture on Instagram. And I have Instagram sometimes gated to Facebook because there are some of my friends who I, I only see on Facebook. And that picture appeared on Facebook. And then the family member replied, Oh, I thought you didn't use Facebook. And it's like, <laughs> stop fucking policing me. I, like, actually, I ticked a box in a completely different application. And that sent this funny photo into Facebook. I didn't actually log into Facebook to make that happen. But the problem is a lot of the old people who use Facebook, they open a web browser, open the web page, go to face, like type Facebook into Google, then click the link and log into Facebook and. That's their portal to the world. And if you're not playing a part, that whole social pressure of you playing a part in there, then you're doing it wrong. And if you choose to opt out of that, you're bad. It's not their fault. It's your fault. I would argue that they don't use a web browser at all. They use the app on a phone, mostly. Uh, old, old people, I think, yeah, okay, this, we could argue what proportion that is, but the people I'm thinking about don't have smartphones. Oh, the people I'm thinking about don't have laptops. They skipped that. They just went straight to phones. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, phones and tablets, I think. Yeah. But the best thing about Twitter for me is that you can almost take a temperature of not the real world, but the Twitter world on various issues. You can see what's trending, what people are talking about. And I'm not saying get your news from there, but you can get a perspective on the news from there. And it also allows me to do one of my favorite things, which is look through trending topics, see racist people and block them. They'll never know that I block them, 
but it gives me immense satisfaction. Can Linux on the desktop ever succeed without a full ecosystem? This is something you asked, Dan. Yeah, so I guess my kind of thoughts on this is you look at like how people interact with computers these days, and it seems very different to how they interacted when I guess even like when I was in high school where it was like, oh, you have a computer. And now it's like, okay, well, you might have a computer. You might not even have a computer. You might have a phone and a tablet and a watch and something connected to your television and other smart devices and like this whole ecosystem of devices and Bluetooth headphones and and whatever that all works together. And it just kind of makes you wonder like, if that's the expectation of how modern consumers interact with computers is they own a bunch of them that all have individually tailored operating systems that talk to each other. Can we really get into people's homes until we can offer them like a full replacement for all of these different operating systems they use every day? Oh gosh, this is a big one. I think not everyone buys into the one ecosystem. I think that's a very Apple-centric thing. And not a, a lot of people don't do that. Like, they'll have a Windows PC, but they'll have a Sony PlayStation because they don't necessarily want the Xbox. Or they'll have a Windows PC and a Nintendo Switch. So if you're outside of the Apple ecosystem, it's very much a mix and match. They might have a smartwatch from Fitbit. They might have a tablet from Samsung. Like, I think the whole uh, cohesive uh, one vendor providing everything, whether it's the entertainment experience, the fitness experience, the media consumption experience on the go, all of it, there's only one company that does that. And nobody, the people who don't buy into that don't care about that. They just want the best tool for the job for each of those individual jobs. Yeah, exactly. And take my brother and his family, who are the most normal people that I know. They have got a Mac, a Windows laptop, uh, an Amazon Assistant thing, uh, an Xbox and a Switch. And so, yeah, they're totally not buying into the ecosystem. They never thought to buy a HomePod. That was never on the agenda when they wanted a voice assistant thing. They just went to Amazon because that is the name you know. Well, I think it's partly the name they know. I mean, Amazon did a tremendously good job at getting the right price point for that device to be in so many homes and some people who have multiple devices in different rooms, right? Um, and some people have even had multiple generations of that device, uh, in, in their house. But Apple don't go after the lowest customer on the price point scale. Um, if you can put it like that, uh, they go after premium customers. And so it doesn't matter to them that they don't have bazillions of people buying the Apple lady speaker or whatever it is because that's not their market they're they've always been going after the premium end of the market they've never gone for the bottom end of the market other than for super cheap music players but the super cheap music players were always a companion device to something else 
and reluctantly that companion device might be a Windows PC. Yeah, I guess I, I think um, I'm thinking of maybe from from my perspective of like having um, an iPhone and an Apple Watch and an Apple TV that all work together uh, or like uh, some friends that I know that have a similar situation with the Google ecosystem um, that, yeah, it, I don't know. It, it makes me wonder about how important it is to have a complete ecosystem of products because, because I feel like that there are, uh, people where if you want to be in their home, even as like a computer operating system, that you have to be able to in some way interact with these other devices. And they don't necessarily have to be all from the same vendor, but like, how can you tell someone to buy, you know, the Librem or the Pine phone if it doesn't work with their Fitbit, you know, or if it doesn't, uh, work with the calendar that is hooked to their Alexa device. Uh, I, I think that there is a little bit more interconnectivity that's expected, even if people don't necessarily live in the exact, like, same ecosystem from one vendor. I think you're looking at the difference between, like, big C connectivity and small C connectivity, like big C where everything is uh unified from one vendor like the apple ecosystem and then small c where i just want this one thing here to talk to this other one thing here i want my smartwatch to talk to my phone that's the one piece of integration in my house that i want right and i think a lot of people that's all they need is they just need the the smart device whatever it is it could be a speaker it could be a uh a fitness device to talk to their mobile device. And yes, that's going to be problematic for the Pine phones, the Purisms, but those devices aren't ever going to get to the point that Android's at because they, it, oh, maybe I think I should say maybe in my lifetime, I don't think, you know, I've worked in that area and I've seen how hard it is. And that's not the arrogance of we tried that. And it didn't work. Therefore you can't do it. I, I just have seen how hard it is and I don't think they should try and go for that. And, and this brings me back to the original question that you asked, which was, um, can it ever succeed? And I think you've got to really think about what you mean by success. Um, and if, if your level of success is you walk into someone's home and they have a PC that's very beautiful, well designed and it's running elementary OS, and then they flick the TV on and it boots with the elementary logo and then you're into playing media and they say, oh, right, I need to check my heart rate. And they look at their watch and there's a little elementary logo in the corner. Like if you want that, sure. And if that's your definition of success, that's a really lofty goal to aim for. And it's a real moonshot and good luck. But if your definition of success is, I had a meeting last week with one of the largest software companies on the planet, and they came to us and asked us to help them deploy Ubuntu, I would say that's a success for us. We've got one of the largest proprietary software vendors on the planet asking us for help deploying Ubuntu. And we're tiny. We're next to nothing. And we've made this little, you know, upstart Linux distro over a period of 15 years. And now huge software companies are coming to us and asking us to help them deploy it. That's a measure of success, but we've maybe got different measures of success. And the UbiPorts people will have a different measure. Theirs might be people just have a phone as a companion to their existing phone. They're not going to see it as necessarily a replacement for Android or iOS 
for everyone. But for some people, it's just a second device that's, and that's good enough for them. I don't know. I think success is a difficult uh, bar and it's a different bar for everyone. I think we have been successful. There are so many people who sit in Linux all day, every day, and get their work done. And that is success, isn't it? Does it have to be huge mainstream success to be successful? I don't think so. I think that as long as there are people buying laptops from System76, Dell, Entura, whoever, that come with Linux, use Linux on it, that's a success. Could we have more success? Yes. And maybe a whole ecosystem would contribute to that. But I I think that... We have been successful on the desktop. There are millions of people using it. There might be billions of people using Windows, but who cares? Yeah, I guess it's difficult. That whole like Silicon Valley um, VC-funded culture of um, you know, I've made a I've made a thing, and the definition of success is we've built um, a number of users who are bought into our ecosystem and invested in our ecosystem that someone's going to come along and buy us. And we walk away, you know, smoking cigars in our, you know, high end Ferraris. That's success. I, d- I don't know. Whereas your success is seeing some guy on a train running XFCE, right? We've arrived. If I could walk on a train and see someone running XFCE, that's a, that's a win, right? Well, I had a similar experience to that, not on a train, but there's a place I go to have my guitars kind of serviced, set up and stuff. And the first time I walked in there, I noticed, hey, this guy's running Zubuntu. (laughs) And I got talking to him about it and he didn't really care much about it. There's no way he's going to listen to a podcast about it, but he just uses it because it's free and good and, you know, updates every couple of years on the LTS and just gets on with it. And that was a huge success for me. That was someone who's not technical or not, you know, hugely, not a developer or whatever, just using it in the real world to get his job done. Yeah, I think for me that I'm not sure that the goal has been reached until all of the computers that I use in my daily life are running some open source operating system. I feel like I don't really want to be having to use so much of this closed source software in my daily life. Hoodies, zip or no zip? It depends on if you want to see my sexy midriff or not. (laughs) (laughs) It depends on the design of it. If you've got a cool design, then it needs to have no zip. But if it's just for practicality, just a plain black one like I have, then zip all the way for me. Yeah, it does look weird to have a design interrupted by the zipper, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, I forgot you called it a zipper. Yes. But you cracked the code and worked out what a zip was. Well done. It was difficult, but my primitive American brain decoded the three extra letters. <laughs> so what about the um, elementary ones for your crowdfunder? Are they zip or no zip? Nice, nice segue there. Uh, well, Joe, let me tell you about these amazing perks that you can get. <laughs> we're offering both zip and no zip so whether you like to show off your sexy midriff or not you can still back the campaign uh you know what the the issue with the printer though is is they offer this really great navy blue color and only pull over but then uh the charcoal is they only offer that in in zip so you can't like 
you can't get the color you want with the style you want necessarily. Like I want the navy one, but I want the zip, but you can't. So it's kind of a tough choice, but we're we're offering both. What about pockets? If you've got a zip up the middle, one of the benefits uh, that you have with a hoodie is if it's got a uni pocket in front of your belly, you get special hand surprises when you put your hand in one side and you meet your other <laughs> hand the other side. <laughs> Hello, hand. Yeah. Um, and you also get the extra benefit that you have two openings so you can like put your phone in one side and then when the barista hands you a coffee you can put your hand in from the other side to get your phone out it's like magic but if you have a zip that doesn't work yeah but if you have the zip then you can leave it unzipped and your hands can rest in a more natural position at your sides while staying warm in the pockets yep true well i'm going to go one further what about a zipped hoodie that has two extra zips on the pockets so things don't fall out of your pockets. I think it's a bit, bit too much. I, I can't cope with that. Yeah, no, can't do it. Because that's why I mostly wear a fleece rather than a hoodie because it has zip pockets because I was sick of just stuff dropping out all the time, especially when I take it off and put it on the clothes horse or my electric drum kit, as I used to call it. You strike me as quite a clumsy person, Joe. Do you drop a lot of things a lot of the time? Yep. Yeah, I I mean, I used to drop my phones a lot. I was just thinking the other day, I've had these glasses for uh, a few months now, and I've not dropped them at all. And then I dropped them twice within a day. I was like, fuck it. <laughs> Why did I think that? Um, I've jinxed it. So I, I don't find myself dropping. So I don't, I don't know, maybe it's the orientation of the pockets. If they tilt kind of upwards a little bit, like diagonally around your belly, then yeah. stuff doesn't fall out quite so much. But if they're horizontal, like a non-zipped hoodie where you've got the Una pocket, then yeah, it's probably more likely to fall out. I feel like I my casual jeans, the pockets on them align fine, but any pair of trousers I have, the it's the pockets are just like angled the exact opposite way that you would want them to be and everything fucking falls out. Well, yeah, that's why when I finally get rid of my car, the first thing I'm going to do is take the front seat out and then access the probably 50 quid's worth of change <laughs> that I've dropped down in the bit that I can't get my hand in. Right. Do people really want all the drama to calm down? And I ask this because people always seem to say, like, oh, can't we all just get along and oh, wouldn't it just be better without all the drama, whether that is political drama or just family arguments or whatever it is. But I feel like people need drama. I think that once one bit of drama gets sorted out, just inevitably another bit of drama in any community of any description, there's always some sort of drama because people want that in their lives. They want some interest in their lives. This is like that whole scene from The Matrix, right? Where he's like, we tried to build your perfect world and you've rejected it. Like, that's kind of your stance is that we we won't accept perfection or, or happiness. Yeah, because it's boring. So as far as I understand it, that there are psychological studies that kind of prove this, that the better that we have it, the bigger deal we make out of small problems to just kind of balance out to where we get to a, a worldview that like things are pretty shit is just kind of like how humans function that we've evolved to do that on purpose so that we keep trying to improve things. So I, yeah, I, 
from an objective standpoint, I, I kind of think I agree with you that even if everything were really good, we'd find ways to hate it. Well, like the world that we have right now, where we have some of the best medical technology ever, life expectancy probably the highest that it's ever been, infant mortality the lowest that it's ever been, but we still like to have a bloody moan about it, don't we? I don't know. I think I think there are some people who are attracted to this because it it feeds that serotonin, you know, it feeds their their need for spice because what else are they going to have to talk about? And I see this a lot on, you know, commentary on places like YouTube and the breathlessness and anger and vitriol that people have over, you know, something as stupid as like moving the buttons from one side of the screen to the other or whatever it might be. Um, I can understand people being upset about things like climate change or, uh, overthrowing governments or people being, killed in drone strike attacks you know these things it makes sense but i have a friend who avoids the news because he feels helpless he feels like he can't do anything about it anyway why should he bother watching the news because it generally mostly won't affect his day from that point onwards until he goes to bed the Whatever happens in Nicaragua or Somalia or Syria or whatever will probably not affect him by the time he goes to bed. So why worry about it? And I think if more people focused on themselves, focused on their family, and rather than stand on the the doorstep looking outward, like stood on the doorstep and looked inward, maybe people would be a little bit happier and maybe people would be a little bit kinder. I totally agree with you, right? Because that's, it's something that's like a huge part of tons of books have written about it and just like being grateful and being mindful and like, how do you uh, avoid feelings of anger or disappointment or guilt or whatever? And it's all about being present and, and not living in the past or living in the future. And that would be, that would be really great. So I, I kind of, I kind of feel both sides where it's like, this is how people are just to start with is we really suck at being grateful and it would be better for us if we appreciated things more and didn't hate everything so much. But I I don't know if that's going to happen. I tried for a long time not watching the news. I totally checked out of the whole news situation because I used to really be into the news. I used to listen to um, any questions on Radio 4. Well, actually, as a podcast, it was one of the first podcasts I listened to. And I would follow the news almost religiously every day. And I found myself just getting really down all the time. And I made this decision to just cut it off. I'm just going to stop watching the news and just just never read the news, just just disconnect from it. And that's when I got into Linux and open source and started to follow tech news instead, because I think everyone needs some sort of new information and got into Linux and, you know, that became my hobby instead of the news. And I was much, much happier. And it was ultimately a case of nothing on the news really affecting my daily life. 
until Brexit came along. Hmm. And being married to a German, that did directly affect me. And so over the last, uh, what, nearly four years, I've become obsessed with the news as well as Linux and stuff. And I've been much less happy as a result of that. Now Brexit, um, well, they got Brexit done, as they say, <laughs> without getting too political. Brexit is an inevitability at this point, And there's nothing I can do about it. And whatever happens to us happens. I, I kind of have tried to move away from it. But it's hard. It's very hard once you are kind of not addicted, but once you're in the habit of really following the news, it's very hard to pull out of it. I think you as an individual, if you think about the last three and a half years of Brexit drama, has any action that you have taken over the last three years affected the state the country is in right now? And I think, you know, if you, if you honestly think on an individual level, no, probably not. Yes, collective action. Yes. Um, joining a political party, campaigning, may help a tiny bit and obviously lots of people doing that helps a lot but i don't believe that anything i've said or done in the last three and a half years has made any change to anything i haven't changed anyone's opinion i haven't been able to affect the course of this country and i feel the same way i feel like like checking out of that kind of stuff I have joined a, a political party and I donate. So I'm financially supporting someone who I believe in, but that's about as far as it goes. If they email me asking me to go and deliver leaflets, nope, not doing it because I just don't feel like participating in that whole machine again, because it didn't do me any good and it didn't do the country any difference at all. What's your most commonly used emoji? It's got to be either the grimacing face or like the smiling one with the bead of sweat. Like, uh, yep. If you asked me in a kind of uh, Mr. and Mrs. type thing, uh, what your favorite emoji was, Dan, I would say smiling face upside down. Oh, yeah. I like that one, too. I think I would probably, yeah, I would attribute the uh, grimacing face to Dan. That, that seems about right. I've, I mean, I've witnessed him doing that face in real life. <laughs> so when I see the emoji, I'm like, oh, Dan's probably grimacing right now. Is that your, oh no, emoji? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause I, I do actually, whenever I put an emoji on screen, I pull the face of the emoji when I do it always because I feel I'm not being authentic if I don't pull whatever face it is. And that's quite hard sometimes because some of them are a bit tricky to pull and you need, to, you need to be quite muscular in the face to be able to pull them. But I do always endeavor to pull the right face at the point when I type it because I feel like, you know, that whole when people type lol and it's like, well, I don't think you did laugh out loud and I don't think you really are rolling on the floor laughing. I think you're lying to me. So I feel way more authentic as a human if I actually pull the face as I type it. So what do you do if you send an emoji that's like the little party popper or like... You should put two arms in the air. Do you? Yeah. Before emojis were a thing, my celebration was uh, the slash that's next to Z on an ANSI keyboard, then a circle, the letter O, and then the slash that's on the right-hand side of the keyboard where the question mark is on an ANSI keyboard. So it's like a little 
head with the arms up in the air. That's my celebration thing, before emojis were a thing. I still use that quite commonly, I think. Yeah, I do. On uh, IRC, I use it. So my favourite emoji is tricky. Well, uh, Joe, what do you think my favourite emoji is? You must you must have one that you think I use a lot. Hmm. I don't know. I, I think that you use a, a fair variety of them. You kind of overuse them in your tweets. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know what your most commonly used one is. I was typing a tweet today and thought of you as I injected the emojis. Uh, it was a tweet about grapes. And I put an emoji of a bunch of grapes in there as well as the word grapes, knowing that you <laughs> hate it when people do that. So I put that in there. I thought you might be thinking of me when I mm-hmm. read that tweet. Yes. And I also put the thinking face in there when I was thinking of you while I was writing that tweet. It's, it was <laughs> multifaceted, that tweet. It really was. So what is your most commonly used one then? Yeah, it's tricky. I don't really know because I use so many. I'm such a diverse kind of guy. Uh, for a while, I used horse a lot. Um, but then I never pasted it anywhere. I was using it when I was demonstrating emoji applications. Uh, I did it in a YouTube video actually just today where I searched for the word horse just because I know that when you search for horse, you get a, a prancing horse, a running horse, um, a horse on a carousel, and you get a unicorn which is not a horse. So I quite like that as a demo of how emojis are completely broken and we shouldn't rely on them because they're not factual. And a, a unicorn is not a horse. And what do you do with your body when you put the horse emoji in? Uh, as I said, I don't. I don't put the horse in. You see, I use it as a, a means just to demonstrate how emojis are broken. Is it because you can't imitate the horse? Well, I don't have the budget to go and buy a horse is, is more the problem, yes. You need to just practice by going, winner. So... My most commonly used one is probably the thumbs up because that it's just a very quick way to just acknowledge something and, you know, okay then or whatever. It's just easy to just say thumbs up. Great. Um, Otherwise, I don't know, maybe um, colon slash, which is not a proper emoji. It's an old school smiley. But it turns out um, that I've been using one emoji wrong. It turns out that the emoji for being asleep looks very much like crying, and I'd been using it for crying, and then my wife said to me, um, yeah, I don't know how to tell this to you, but uh, yeah, you've been using that emoji wrong, and I know you think you're cool and down with the kids, but you're really not. In your face. So I just opened uh, WhatsApp because there's a WhatsApp group for my son's football team, and I've, I thought if I open the emoji keyboard, it will show me the most recent emoji that i've used and in the most recent section there is exactly one emoji that i've used because in football club the uh, manager the coach of the team says uh can everyone just tell me if uh, your son's going to be playing this saturday and the only thing everyone does is put a thumbs up <laughs> and so the only emoji i've ever used in whatsapp is a thumbs up um apparently according to the recently used thumbs keyboard yes I guess that brings up an interesting question, though, because is a thumbs up like, is that really like an emoji usage or is that like a reaction? Because I feel like the reactions are different somehow than like an emoji that's like part of a sentence. I don't know. Like on Slack, there's reactions, right? And so you can react to a message. I don't really consider that like sending an emoji. Mm, Well, I kind of do. And by far, my most commonly used reaction is thumbs up or like check mark tick, as we would say, just to acknowledge things. Yeah, or like the finger pointing up. If you want to type that 
you do colon plus one, don't you, for a thumbs up? I think. And I remember before emoji was a thing, it was all trees around here. And on IRC, when we used to have Ubuntu meetings, there'd be a vote called and you either plus one, minus one or zero to vote. And that plus one, minus one translates to thumbs up, thumbs down. I don't know what the zero translates to, but abstain. Well, yeah, I don't know what emoji that I don't know if there is an abstention emoji, the sleeping slash crying one. (laughs) Well, that's too much emotion for abstain. Surely shrug. Surely it's shrug. Yeah, but shrug is emotion as well, isn't it? Like, if someone says, I want to vote on whether we carry forward this motion, shrug, like, I guess, I guess you could. Shrug is like, meh, whatever. Yeah, but also, I want to vote on whether this developer should be given access to upload things to the archive. Mm, Shrug. Maybe just the party hat one. You're like, I don't care. I'm partying. (laughs) It's a shame that they're not animated because you know that kind of like where you put your hand out flat and you just wobble it from side to side to go yeah you need one of those there needs to be a yeah i think that's what gifs are for we need to expand the unicode standard to include animations now yeah let's get right on that (laughs) 